DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Time to welcome in David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, and he joins us on the T-Mobile special guest line. T-Mobile and Sprint are coming together to build the best wireless company around. Visit T-Mobile.com for online services and local store availability. David, good morning. Good morning, DJ. Good morning, PK. Hello. How's the greatness of the morning doing? <laughs> Special on my end. Uh, PK's been on fire. Oh, good. <laughs> Did you know that uh, Navy is surrounded by a wall and their players are in a bubble, unable to leave campus? Only, the gates have armed guards and the, the orders, you know, they get discipline and they get some military. You can order people what to do and they've ordered them to stay on campus. Wow. Did you know the wall was. Uh, who built the wall, PK? Be careful, because I, I don't know that he likes political jokes, but I said that the wall was built by Trump, and he made the uh, he made West Point pay for it. He did. Okay. <laughs> West Point might have done what Mexico's doing, which is building the wall themselves to protect themselves from the outside world. Yeah, keep Navy in, right? Right. Army-Navy rivalry. Talk to my father-in-law about that sometime. He's a Naval Academy. One. He's a Naval Academy grad. He's into that kind of it's thing. A ge- it's a game I'd like to go to at some point in my life. It's probably on my bucket list of sporting events. I would agree. So, the Utah Jazz season is done. Put a wrap on it. It's in the books. It's all over. What do you think Quinn Snyder learned, and how will this team change going forward? You know what? I think it's the most interesting aspect of team building right now is like how do you evaluate the bubble right so such a different environment different players reacted to it different ways some players were really comfortable some players weren't um how you know the games were very different not home not road um just just such a different i i'm just really curious as we pull back from this um like if toronto was down 3-0 right now do they like if, there's no way Toronto like would have been down, and there's no way, frankly, Milwaukee would be down 2-0 if we were back in the regular world. Like it just wouldn't be. There was no way. And so, how do you? And I frankly think there's no chance that the Jazz would have been up 3-1, and there's no chance the Jazz would have lost a 3-1 lead. Um, so how do how do you evaluate what took place in a unique environment that I? don't think we'll do again or at least not long enough that it's worth team building for so i don't know i think that's the most you know interesting aspect to me of this from from both sides And i think you can make a lot of really 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 big personnel decision mistakes when you use one playoff series against the same team where a matchup might be either good or bad for you as your sample size for making decisions. Usually it's, you know, the Sonic signing Calvin Booth or the Knicks signing Jerome James because they happen to get a matchup that worked for them and they were much better than they actually are as a player and then you get them for 82 games and they're not that good. You could do it the other way too where someone has a bad matchup and doesn't play well and you devalue all they did for their regular season. I think that's a mistake. Okay. I mean, I can... can I don't know necessarily know I agree with it 100%, but I can see the line of thinking where you're going. My thought for you is can we conclude that Donovan Mitchell, based on what we saw and what we've seen, not just what we saw, but what we've seen, 
which means it extends beyond the bubble, that he has the capability to be first-team All-NBA? Um, you know, first-team All-NBA is a pretty high level. Yes. Um, so I'd have to start doing the math. I mean, right now you've got Luca that probably has a spot ahead of him, and, and you know, that's gonna, it's just that's a really crowded spot, right? So Dame and Luca are there right now, so I, I think that's an awfully hard spot to get to. Um, but I do think that, you know, Donovan's for play in the bubble actually matched a fairly natural progression just five months later. Like, guys get better as they get older. We've just never played in September before. Um, but if you think about, you know, he's five months more advanced than he was in March, that makes sense. Um, so I think, you know, his his level of play was congruent to what, if all went well, his growth would be. So I think there's a legitimacy to what you're seeing because you're actually basing it off what you've seen before and how he was progressing. But how so also, uh, you know, also too about ownership of the team, which extends beyond yeah, I, the actual play. So, so from a team building standpoint, I was trying to think of like what's most different than 16 months ago. And I think what's most different from 16 months ago to now is how comfortable you are with Donovan Mitchell with the ball in his hands. After the Houston series, I don't think you were particularly comfortable deciding that Donovan Mitchell was going to be your primary ball handler for the season last year. That was not a good series, not great decision-making. He just, it's not a position he's actually never been. You know, I, don't, I don't call it a point guard because I think that he's kind of gone, particularly in our system where we run multiple different players with pick and rolls. So at that point, 16 months ago, I think you still thought we better have a primary ball handler and relieve that burden of Donovan in his development. I think it was right. Um, now, 16 months later, I'm pretty comfortable if Donovan becomes the primary ball handler and think that's actually part of his natural development. I did not want to lead the witness, but that is exactly what I wanted to get to. Do they need going forward? And, well, <clears throat> it's a question for the front office, uh, you know, as contracts expire and, you know, next summer there'll be a chance. But before we get to Dennis Lindsay, Justin Zanuck, the front office team, what they're going to do, just going forward next year, does Quinn stay with the, we got three guys who can run pick and rolls at a really high level and they're each going to have the ball a share of the time and we're going to find the worst, def- the best matchup and attack that and not worry which one of the three guys it is necessarily. We'll probably have two of the three on the court at all time and, and then three of them to close a game. Uh, or is it Donovan is always a mismatch. Maybe the other guys don't have the ball as much and become more spot-up shooters but Donovan's running the pick and roll, at least running the first pick and roll in every possession, and maybe just isolating and beating his guy depending on the matchup because you see how James Harden plays in Houston, how Steve Nash used to play in Phoenix. You know, when you have a guy who's really, really good, don't do the other team a favor and take the ball out of his hands. So, I mean, I think the two guys you're talking about are Mike Conley and Joe Ingles. Right, yeah. They both happen to be elite, elite-level shooters, right? So the scenario you just wrote out is fine. If, if just to use a former jazz player as a contrast, if you have Ricky Rubio, now you've really got a rub, right? Cause Rubio is not a very good shooter. And so you'd have you're, if you're not letting him have the ball in his hands, then he's not as, he's not as useful. Um, both Joe and Mike are two of the best catch and shoot elite level shooters in the NBA. 
Um, so if, in fact, you decide that instead of you know allocating the pick and roll like they did this year, which was something about 40%, 30%, 20% amongst the three of them, it's going to become 60 10, you know, 15, 15, there's just 10 pick percent of pick and rolls that go to Clarkson and Boyan and everybody else. I know I'm not adding up to 100. Um, then Joe and Mike have to become comfortable with being um, catch and shoot guys. Um, and so that that would be, you know, that would be, a, that certainly could be a script that could be played next year. And then the two of them have to adjust to that, but they're both great at it. So it's not something that they can't do or is not in their skill set. It just would have to be whether they embrace it. I think they need to upgrade the bench. Is you think that's going to come from outside or inside? So, I mean, if we start playing the salary game, um, you know, there's two, there's two rubs that we always have in this league. So I'm going to go kind of deep philosophical if I can PK, like, you know, be like Rene Descartes and Plato and really deep and philosophical. So basketball philosophical. So the two things you'll always hear about is one, we either need to be shooters or we need to be more athletic, right? We hear that debate between the two all the time. And so for a year, we sat around here and talked about how much we had to get better shooters. We did, and now we heard it. Now we hear everybody talking about being more athletic. And, um, and you know, I think that that's um, – and then you, when you have, you know, an athletic shooter, by the way, is an all-star. So you just don't get both. Same thing I feel about the bench. Like, yeah, I agree the bench needs to be a lot better. But if you're going to have stars and you're going to have a $30 million um, <clears throat> Donovan at some point here and a $30 million Rudy and a 20-some-odd million dollar Boyan and if 18 said whatever it is, Joe, and even Royce has you know, signed an extension, you actually aren't going to have money for your bench. Like, you're not. Like, I mean, maybe we can get Jordan Clarkson at some mid-level and that's a pretty nice luxury but you're not going to have that. And then you couple that we're not a market where you can get veterans just to sign because it's Los Angeles or Miami. And we tried, like we, we took a run at Jeff green. It was totally worthwhile run. It didn't work for us. You know, Ed Davis was supposed to be that bench guy. And we spent an awful lot of money on, on a backup center for what was the best backup center in the league. And the age bug just seems to have got him at the wrong time. So we made the effort to try to do it with the bench, but it's hard. And what, and frankly, you know, Donovan's number is going to change pretty dramatically here in the next two years. So, and Rudy's number is going to change probably. So, it's not. It's a hard thing to do. You to build. You know, it's it's nice to say you got to build the bench, but when your team building is actually getting stars, and Mike Conley's thirty, I didn't mention, um, and then to get those players, you're often trading first round draft picks. So you're going to have a bench gap. I mean, that's that's the give and take that you've done. So it's. You know, I think there's some interesting – Darrell Brantley's a really kind of wild card piece to me. I don't really know what he can do, but it's pretty interesting. I don't know if it's interesting enough that I'm willing to bank on it. The coaching staff obviously believes in Jawan Morgan. Mia Oni and Rajon Tucker bring unique skills. If you can get 30 minutes a game out of those four guys next year, that's a big deal. So – Really, it shows that in the NBA, because everybody who hits on a draft pick goes through the what the Jazz go through, right? And I guess actually in the NFL too, you can go to the Seahawks and Russell Wilson was winning when he was he was very good when he was on his rookie contract and a low number. But you've always got to pay that person you hit on, so you got to hit again. 
I mean, the, the yeah, ability I mean, the to hit in the second half of the first round, which is hard, but teams do it. We can go through every draft and find a, a good player or two there, and your ability to do that is critical as you get crunched because you're paying a couple stars. Right. So there's two big differences in your analogy. Your analogy is right, but there's a huge difference, and that is that for whatever reason, Young in the NFL can win. So right. Patrick Mahomes yep. and Russell Wilson, very early in their career, are good enough to win. To win. Yep. And then when not being paid a lot, that's pretty awesome. And then traditionally, once they pay their quarterbacks, unless they're Tom Brady and Peyton Manning, it's really hard to win once you're paying your quarterback. Um, the difference in the NBA is that you seemingly have to have years of experience to win, right? Like even Donovan and Rudy, they'll never lose another series 3-1. Like they blew it. Like, but they hadn't, honestly, they hadn't been there before. There was unique circumstances to it. And it seems as though, I haven't talked to either of them, so I don't know, but it seems as though they blinked, right? That they just kind of, with everything going on, and they were up 15, that they just lost the, the, the vibe of the series, and Denver grabbed it, and now they've learned this terrible lesson on if you let go of the rope for a minute, it's really hard to grab back onto it in a playoff series when somebody else is desperate. And it took them pure desperation down 19 to seemingly grab back hold of that rope. Um, and that's a that's a really, really painful lesson for them right now. Um, but that's what the NBA is. Somehow, for whatever reason, young quarterbacks in the NFL can win. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you hit on second-round draft picks at about 6%. So it's, that's a pretty unlikely script. I mean, if you can find a guy like our 23rd pick this year, can we get someone like what Baisley played pretty well for Oklahoma City here? Now, I don't, you know, they didn't win their series, so I don't know if that's – but, yeah, somebody who's – Somebody who can give us, you know, 15 minutes a night. And so now if you're getting 15 out of him and you're getting 30 out of some combination of the four guys I just mentioned, and now now you're said, you know, you've got to find a way to get um, somewhere around 15 times five, uh, so 75 bench minutes. So if you got Clarkson back at 30, you know, 25 bench minutes, then you've got to find 50 bench minutes. And so if, if Rajon and – Tony and uh, Morgan and Brantley can combine for 30, as I said, and you're, you're 15 out of your first round draft pick, then all of a sudden you got it done. But it's a, you know, it's a really young, inexperienced bench. But I think that's the reality when you're paying the money you're paying um, to your primary six players, seven players. And, and we're paying a lot to our primary seven players. So that's fine. That's like play your seven players, intermix them with two or three bench guys at a time and get those minutes. You would often speak of how you were down when the season would end because it would be something that was such a high with the playoff and then it was over. You'd have a little bit of a depression. I don't know if that's the right word. How you feeling right. now? This one's actually been worse. Really? Uh, yeah. Uh, um, no, maybe I just don't remember, but I always do. I usually do have that. You know, I know mental illness is real and the word depression needs to be changed to how it's used. But I do often just kind of sleep for like 24 hours and feel as though I have nothing to do and there's a total emptiness in me. Um, but I'm also usually exhausted. And so it's like, there's that element of like, okay, well, at least we got through it. This one just felt like we were just getting started. Um, you know, from a broadcast standpoint, it was so different and unique. And I felt like we were kind of figuring it out. And then all of a sudden it was over and I just wasn't, I wasn't prepared for it to be over, you know, contrasting the last two years when you kind of knew it was going to end. So, um, I actually, yeah, I had a, yeah, I mean, I got on my bike for 50 miles yesterday. That means I'm not doing well. That's just being weird. So, Well, David, we appreciate a few minutes, and uh, we will talk to you in the offseason, however long the offseason goes. I guess we can I mean, that's, s- save I that mean, conversation honestly, that, for another week. 
Right, but I think that actually, PK, that actually might be the weirdest part about this is that Monday is Labor Day. Tuesday yeah. is when the players usually come to town. Right, I know. I was telling my wife that. <laughs> like, I kind of know that, like, to this next week, like, I'll probably be sneaking down to the practice facility to try to go watch some OTAs, right? Like, yeah. and see the guy and just say hi to the guys for the first time. It gives you a semblance of, like, oh, it's all coming back together. And, right. And the other one is that kind of when you finish the season, you always can kind of look ahead and say, okay, well, you know, it's it's April or May, and all right, I got June, July, August, September. Yeah, okay, it's here. Yeah, like, I just we don't know. Like, is it January? Is it February? Is it December? Is it like I don't know. Yeah. Um. So, you know, who knows? David, we appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us, and we'll talk to you again. Thanks, guys.